Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Quick note before we begin, the Finding Genius Foundation, as part of the Finding Genius Podcast, has recently completed a book about understanding viruses. So the creation of this book was to interview 100 virologists, ask them a lot of deep, difficult questions, take the most difficult questions, and then re-interview the top 25 or so and ask them the hardest questions I could think of. And we compiled that all into a book. So you'll see question and four or five experts' answers. Question, four or five experts' answers. There's about 30 questions in the book. I think it's a great read for the layperson and for the researcher. It talks about a lot of speculation in the world of viruses, such as are they alive or not, and why is it important? Uh, why do viruses go latent or hidden or ineffective or sit in a person or an animal or another creature for weeks, months, years? and then suddenly become virulent and affect that person. Uh, so there's a lot of really provocative questions in the book. It's now on Amazon. So if you go to Amazon and type in Finding Genius, you'll see the book on viruses. It's also on Kindle. The Audible version is in production and should be ready in approximately a month. But if you want to go and order it now, uh, you can do so again by going to Amazon or Kindle or go, go to findinggeniusfoundation.org and go to Publications. There's an opportunity as well to get the transcripts of all the interviews and to hear the original interviews themselves. If we had put them all together, the book would be about a thousand pages, but we condensed them down to make it juicy and concise and tight and very interesting. So I hope you'll check out the book. Uh, we're now working on one about cancer, but this is going to be our goal is uh, three times a year to come out with these masterclass books that I think will inspire new scientific research. And I hope you'll check it out. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have John C.A. Manley. He's the founder of a website called Much Ado About Corona. He's in Ontario, Canada. And I'm not sure how I, I ran across his newsletter, but it's really informative. Um, it talks about COVID, that whole situation, in a very different way than mainstream media does, thank God. John, you know, as part of his bio, he spent over a decade ghostwriting for medical doctors, uh, naturopaths, and chiropractors. And uh, since March of last year, he's been sucked into, uh, you know, the COVID craziness. He's finishing a novel called uh, Much Ado About Corona, a dystopian love story. And his website is muchadoaboutcorona.ca. So, John, thanks for coming. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah. So what, what was your life like before it was ruined by all this garbage? And, uh, you know, what, what were you doing? You were ghostwriting. What, what else were you doing? I was working on another novel. That was my big dream. I, I mean, up to the, over the last previous 10 years, I had done a lot of sales writing, which I, I think made me a little aware of what was happening in the world. Cause I saw everything as being some big marketing ploy to sell us a pandemic. And I had moved away from the sales writing for medical professionals and went more into ghost writing. But my big dream was to write a novel. And I had, I had, like three on the go over the last 10 years. And I was coming wow. to the end of one novel and this happened. And um, I realized right from the beginning how serious the uh, implications would be on society. So I ended up saying, I'm going to write a little short story about it. And that short story has turned into what looks like it's going to be a trilogy. So, Oh, wow. 
What, what did you think? What was your mindset in March of last year and then in April and moving forward? What is it today? Has it changed? It's only just become more clear and baffling. I mean, clear to me, and I say this unapologetically, that I at the beginning I was, you know, I thought maybe there was a pandemic going on, but it was being grossly exaggerated. At this point, I don't think there was ever a pandemic, and there certainly isn't now. Hey, what, yeah, what kind of evidence have you found that just floored you? Is there anything like that that just, you know, this all reminds me of kind of um, a crime scene. You find a hair and, and it tells you that, you know, you sequence the DNA and it's so-and-so was there. But when you look around, you don't see the person there and you're like, it's it's not, it doesn't jump out at you. It's like subtle clues or clues that, that tell you what happened, but it's not obvious. Like, that's what this seems like. What, what does it seem like to you? Does it seem like that? Or is it uh, just more right in your face of, you know, that things are not being portrayed in the way they actually are? Yeah, well, in some ways, it's they're declaring that you could say a crime has happened, that there has been a pandemic or there is a pandemic. And, and in some ways, it's a reverse because we can't find the body. We can't find the, the hair or the blood stains or you know anything. So the, the crime is really suggesting there is a crime, which I guess is starting to become a baffling metaphor. I think that what struck me was it wasn't just there was one. I mean, everything about it at every level appeared like a lie. And I, I hate to say that word so clearly, but that's what I, my conclusion come to. Like every nothing made sense in every regard from how they were handling the situation to what they were claiming the situation was. So um, I, I think one of the, and then the fact that people accepted it so much, and I think part of the reason they did is because it is such a big lie with so many parts that do fit well together, but that doesn't mean that, you know, just because a lot of lies fit well together that they're true. I'm I'm a novelist. The novel basically involves a whole bunch of chapters that are all lies, but you make them work together so they seem believable. What what are some of the um the big lies that you observe? What's an example? What are some examples? Uh well in Canada, I mean it was pretty obvious right from the beginning with the death rates. I mean there wasn't any I mean they called a lockdown on the whole country, basically, and there was no one in ICU. And then we just continued out through the spring with the normal amount of respiratory deaths, principally in um, senior citizen homes. We didn't have, like in the U.S., where there was a more significant amount of people who weren't in senior homes dying. And oddly enough, it was only two provinces in our whole country that actually represented like almost 90% of the deaths, Ontario and Quebec. Well, all the other provinces, the seniors seem to have been practically immune to COVID, whilst in our two provinces they weren't. And then the Canadian Armed Forces goes in and finds that we already knew those elderly homes in our province in Quebec were in very bad shape, very mistreated people. But it, it got even worse with the restrictions from COVID. I mean, they were finding cockroaches and people who had feeding tubes that had been clogged for three or four days, bed sores, ants crawling everywhere people crying out for help, people who hadn't been fed for two days, rotting food in the room. And, you know, this is a military report. You can read the report online. The Quebec one was more numerous, but less extreme. It was more cases of insufficient staff on board because they were all being sent home because they had a PCR test that was positive. So anyways, I just sum it up shortly with that. Just one tiny example was this is obviously a problem with the nursing homes. They're being neglected and it got worse when they put in all the protocols. And I I can talk about that on a personal basis because I've had personal experience with one nursing home that had a quote unquote COVID outbreak in my own city. But it was obviously a nursing home problem. 
and they're declaring it a national emergency with a pandemic of what, when we look at the numbers, are only a few hundred higher than the regular respiratory death rate for last year. So what are some of the other lies that you've seen? I mean, to me, you know, masks work, and I've literally read a whole bunch of studies showing that they do nothing. And then just the the basic idea that, you know, the pores in an average fabric are literally 1,000 times bigger than the size of most viruses. So it's like yeah. trying to stop a, I don't know, a mosquito with a, a gigantic chain link fence. Yes. I mean, well, you have to acknowledge too that the CDC, the WHO and all the others, they admit that themselves. I mean, this is a trouble is that I think most people believe that they think that this mask is stopping the airways, but the official story is that it's not doing that. And even if it was, you still have the big gaps or even the small gaps on the side and air finds the least passage of resistance. And the, the truth of it is, is if you could, if you can breathe in these things, the virus can come through because of the size of the viral particle. I mean, the main argument they're making is that it's stopping respiratory droplets from leaving your mouth and somehow getting into somebody's lungs, which, you know, I can explain why that's just a total baloney story anyways but yeah let's um, go into that for now let's let's focus on masks for a few minutes what's oh I'd what, love what's to. <laughs> all the uh, the you know the, what's the truth and what's the bs of them well we if we wanted to keep it real simple because well, i mean their argument is okay and they, the wording is very carefully done like i've seen that i believe it was with the cdc documents they don't actually claim that it's going to stop people from becoming infected what they claim is that it will stop the spread of covid infected droplets so if we want to get really technical, and, and I'm a word guy, so I, I know how to play that game, I would agree with them in some theoretically, and that's only theoretically, and they admit that, my province admits it too, that theoretically, because the mask is collecting water droplets in front of your face, and, the, and if the person has SARS-CoV-2 infection, then it will be collecting virus particles in the mask and preventing them from going into the environment. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. So that might be true, but it's irrelevant because we know from at least 14 urban studies where they just take, a, you know, hundreds of tens of thousands of people with masks and tens of thousands without, put them in contained areas and just see how it all works out. And there's never been a difference in infection rates, whether the people are wearing the masks or whether they're not, whether they're the ones who are wearing it or whether they're the ones around someone wearing it. So we know based on that alone, that whether or not it stops some droplets from flying through the air is 
irrelevant because it's an airborne virus. It's going to be in the air particles. It's baffling because they even know, like in scientific studies, where they're actually working with renal viruses for whatever reason. And scientists will actually squirt, tried squirting liquid renal viruses up people's nose, and they still don't get infected. Whilst when they actually have them inhale the virus in uh, aerosol form, infection rates go up considerably. So this whole thing with the droplet thing, it's, it's like they spent a lot of time trying to figure out some way they could argue that masks just might make a little tiny difference. And that's all they really claim to. Theoretically, it might make a little difference, which means that instead of getting sick on Tuesday, you're going to get sick on Thursday. Because the whole argument was really originally and officially that the masks are there to slow down the rate of infection so that the hospitals don't get overrun. But that's kind of, I don't think most people even remember that. They think the mask is actually protecting them. Yeah, the, the narrative of, you know, slow the spread and et cetera. I mean, that was supposed to be for two weeks and it's been a year and then they just let it go. It's just forgotten and gone and it just doesn't, I don't know, they're on to the next thing. You know, just like when they were talking about vaccine, vaccine, and then they're saying, oh, well, if you have the vaccine, you still need to wear a mask. And it, so what's the, the story keeps, keeps shifting. It's mm-hmm. just crazy. And that's a big sign of, you know, psychological manipulation. Well, what is your, um, do you think that it was planned? Do you think it was accidental and just capitalized on? Like, what, what's your thought? You know, I, I could go with either. I, I don't really have a, on the whole, if I was to lean one way, I'd say, yeah, they planned this. But hmm. I think they've been improvising as they go along. Like, I don't think they thought the masks would catch on as well as they did, or they would have introduced them earlier. I think they thought, well, like, would have been why it was my assumption is, you know, most people would just say, this isn't, I'm not wearing this all day long. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, there are people who are like, you know, beating up their neighbors if they don't have one on. Yeah, attacking people. Yep. It's, I mean, I have only put one on uh, three times in the last year because I just refused to. I tried it once to see how it felt to pay for, uh, I was at a bike shop and he wouldn't let me, he wouldn't let me pay unless I, I usually did everything in the back of the store anyways, never had to go in there, but he's like, oh, you got to pay with the, uh, the ATM. And I, oh, I'll get you cash from the bank. No, no pay. And he just put on the mask and I, oh, I put it on and it just felt awful. Even though I just went in and out to, to pay my bill. And I said, oh, that's it. Never doing that again. Well, how do you get around? I mean, how bad is it in Ontario? Are people like insane crazy about it? Or is it, you know, like I'm in the U.S., some states and, it's, you know, I noticed in the more rural areas, Pretty much no one cares. You know, everyone's crazy about it. And then some stores, they, you know, they're like, put it over your nose. And some stores, they don't care. And some stores, they don't even say anything. You, know, you just got to kind of get to know after a while. But what, what's it like in your environment where you're at? Well, I'm kind of in a small city in Ontario. It goes from all extremes. I mean, I've been basically kicked out of stores when I've been in there purchasing items. Or I remember I was at a pharmacy getting a toothbrush for my mother who's in a senior's home and i'm just you know looking in the aisles and suddenly this hand reaches out like stretches out with a mask on it put this on and i said i'm sorry i if you like this podcast please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on itunes i don't believe in voodoo and uh well, i got kicked out so so, anyway, yeah and i bring along i have this flyer i put you know 20 reasons why masks are ineffective harmful and immoral and i I, i'll I'll sit there i'll try until they push me right out of the store i say i mean really i mean this is why they were hanging german doctors nazi doctors in the nuremberg trials 
for forcing medical treatments on people. And this is a medical treatment that hasn't actually been tested on animals. Because how are you going to test a face mask on a hamster? I, I know the Chinese have apparently done it, but I don't really think they, they can be. Uh, they were testing for e- efficacy, not dangers. And there's there's several dangers to these things. So I say, I mean, you're asking me, then they'll go on about how I'm not respecting them. I'm like, I respect, right. you want to wear a mask, a tutu, whatever you want, go ahead. <laughs> I mean, you're not respecting other people by asking them to do something that's not, not even just potentially harmful. It's even if you took away the physical attributes, it's psychologically. Well, like in Texas, you know, the rule for nine months has been, uh, you know, if you're over 10 years old, you're supposed to wear one. But I see regularly, like in the mall and other places, you know, kids that are two years old and they have yeah. them on, their parents are putting them on them. And it just, it makes me so mad. I just want to, you know, I want to say something to them, but it's just sad. It's really, really, really sad. Do you guys have mass mandates in the, in Canada and in Ontario? Or what's like, legally, what does it look like? Oh, well, legally, the issue is, uh, like, I live in an apartment building and there's signs all around the apartment really? building saying masks are required by the health unit um, in common areas. But then they also say, um, but not everyone can wear a mask, so please be kind to each other. But the law, if, I, actually, it's not a law. I, I think that should be made clear. It's a regulation. Regulations are supposed to be based on laws, but there's actually no law to back it up. Basically, it just states that everyone should wear a mask in an indoor common area unless you have an exception, which includes everything from medical, mental, religious, or acts of conscience under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Mm. So there's an opt-out for almost everybody who wants to take it. Most people aren't aware of it, though. But the exemption, I mean, I've told people, you know, I do have asthma. I have my prescription with me. I have all that stuff. And I've told people, and they're like, no, you have to. No. I'm like, no, I don't. And they just don't listen. They just don't care. Yeah, there's, I mean, that's... The, the hardest place around here is the hospitals. That's the one place it's almost impossible to get in without a mask, ironically. I, I'm not too fond of using, I don't personally use any ex- personal exemptions. I don't actually feel that um, my understanding of the science of respiration, which I have a lot of experience with having uh, been a student of uh, the Buteyko breathing method, which came out of Russia in the 1960s, that there's not really anyone who's more exempt than another. I don't well, I should word that differently, but I, I think everyone should be exempt from wearing a mask because this is harmful to everyone. I agree. Yeah, I agree. But I'm saying, you know, they've specifically spelled out in guidelines or regulations oh, yeah. or whatever you want to call it. There are exemptions, but they're just ignored. It's, you know, it's, it's, they've turned people against each other and people are policing each other. So that's, I'm sure yeah. that, you know, certain individuals are sitting back happily rubbing their hands because they're like, great. The stores and all these organizations are doing it for us. We don't have to do anything. It's wonderful. It is for them. I mean, I th- I think that's why, like in Ontario and most of Canada, have understand anyone who's been given a ticket for not wearing a mask when they show up for court. Well, they mm-hmm. file it with the court system. The court system has no record of the ticket because they know it's not legal. They know it's a violation. Definitely, well, they, they argue it's not a violation of the Charter of Freedom and Rights because we're in a pandemic, which is easily easy to disprove. But it's definitely a violation of the Canadian Bill of Rights, which requires that there's actual federal act of parliament to pass something like this, which there never was. So we know it's illegal. And it's like you said, on the flip side, we got great stores like um, I've written about them, uh, Fenning's Organic and More, which is a health food store in the area. And they put up a sign that says, no mask, we won't ask. 
And they're getting yeah. business from, like, people are driving two hours to go do the shopping there. I would, yeah. There's a store also in uh, Florida run by a guy named Alfie Oaks. It's like seed to table. And they, I saw it on the news. They showed, you know, none of the employees wear it. I mean, but they mm-hmm. had literally, they literally had horror music playing as if it was <laughs> a horror movie. And they showed around and panned around slowly. This is not from before the pandemic. Look at this footage of these people doing this stuff, you know, and it was, it was insane. Yeah, it was really weird. It was, it was just really, really weird. Oh, I mean, that's, yeah. an, it's not been, it's been a weird year. I mean, most of the time I'm between, do I cry or do I laugh? It's mm. hard to know. I mean, my, my wife was in the hallway of our apartment building and this old lady who like smokes constantly. So, you know, she's obviously very concerned about her health. She sticks her head out with a mask on and she, apparently someone was coming. She goes, you better get out of the hallway. There's someone coming up the steps and they got, they got a mask on. You got to get out of the hallway. It's like, oh she's just tying her shoes. And I said, Stacy, someone, someone's coming with a mask. Okay. You call the police. I'll fend them off until, you know, everything's okay. She goes, you're nuts. Slams the door. <laughs> you should have told her you should put a hole in that mask and smoke cigarettes through it. You know, that'd be Which great. They used, where they used to do that back in the Spanish flu. Back in like the uh, West Coast of the United States, they had mask mandates for the Spanish flu. And that was a oh, really? common thing where they would cut little holes so they could stick their cigarettes in. Yeah, well, uh, this is not the first time we've had a mass mandate. Interesting. So what, um, have you tried to talk to local officials? Have, like what, what have you tried to do to restore, you know, a shred of, of sanity or discussion to all this stuff? On a local level or more national? Yeah, local or national level, yeah. Well, local, I did contact right from the beginning my local uh, representatives at a provincial and federal level and got very bizarre answers. It's like, you know, you guys are doing these extreme things. Could I please see the evidence? And they're like, oh, we're relying on the expert advice of medical experts. And I go, great, great. Can you give me their names and some evidence and show me? No replies. I mean, that's what we've all been. Right. It became very clear that um, most of the politicians in this either are got a gun to their head or totally corrupt, completely yeah, why, incompetent. Right. Why do you think... So like in the U.S., people were saying, oh, it's about the election. It was about getting rid of Trump, et cetera. But that does a square with worldwide, everyone copycatting each other. Like, why do you think it's been copy your neighbor and just about the entire world except for Sweden? And I've heard like Tanzania. I mean, like, what, what are nations doing now? Just sitting there waiting for what? What, what are they doing? I don't, I don't get the copycatting in the first place. And I don't get the response, you know, over the year. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's become so complex. There's so many layers to it. I mean, part of it could just be outright complete corruption because there's obviously an incredible financial benefit to certain individuals from all of this. The other is politicians just embarrassed to admit they made the biggest mistake in probably the last 100, 200 years. Probably made possibly the biggest mistake in political history. I mean, the amount of destruction and death this has caused and will cause as the implications roll out and how big of a mistake they've made on so many levels that it might just be they're just so embarrassed to admit it that they um, just keep digging their hole deeper. And then they got a media that's polarized everybody. And I mean, as much as, you know, they get emails from people like me saying, you know, you know, this is insane what you're doing. I mean, you're destroying our world. They're getting people emailing them and telling me you're not doing enough. Oh, God, really? 
<laughs> oh, I know. I, I think there's there's layers and layers, like there's layers and layers of lies here. But on the flip side, I've seen so many people step out of, you know, organizations that didn't exist a year ago have formed now. I mean, we have a organization with um, that was started by ex-police officers in Canada and now is working with duty police officers too, oh, saying good. that they're standing by their oath to the people to the constitution of canada to the charter of rights and that they um are drawing a line in the sand about what we're willing to do you know handing they right now in alberta canada they've arrested a pastor for holding church services and he's being moved to a maximum security prison oh my god yeah i mean and it and it was it wasn't even that he was doing it during lockdown it was that lockdown had lifted but they had a, a restriction of like 10 percent capacity in the church and he just you know as many people as want can come and uh, they finally arrested him and he's currently in a 14-day quarantine before they move him to the maximum security prison and i'm hoping when the quarantine is finished the province of alberta will realize that i think what they will do my prediction is and my hopeful prediction is that they'll change the law so it's now no longer illegal for him to have a church service with as many people as he wants and they had already done this with the previous lockdown. There were so many restaurants that just said, we're staying open. And good. the RCMP, you know, and you think RCMP is the Red Mountie stands for good and justice, you know, and these guys are being forced to come there. And you could see they hated it in the footage, you know, giving them warnings, giving them ticket after ticket, and then saying, you know, on Monday, if you don't, if you're not closed down, we're going to have to arrest you. And then Monday came around. And the province lifted the lockdown. So what? why would there be that dynamics, though? Is it, I guess people are not sure. And even though things aren't changing wholesale, there's enough resistance that I guess they're kind of just glossing over these certain incidents, but trying to keep the whole narrative going. Like, what's your perception of that? Yes, I'm, I'm, that's my hope is that um, a lot of the reason they are backing down is because people are just... They're not even asking the politicians anymore, you know, please change your ways. They're just ignoring them and they're ignoring the rules because there was a family just in Quebec. They had a birthday party with two households. They got $7,000 worth of fines for doing it. And they just laughed. They said, it's toilet paper, you know. So I, I think it becomes embarrassing when the government's people aren't, as they word it, respecting them. <laughs> you know, it's because we can't respect something like this. So I think that, and I, I believe personally, that's the only way this is going to um, stop is individuals just saying Gandhi style, I'm not going to cooperate with this anymore. You can find me, you can even put me in jail like that pastor. I'm not, I'm not going to cooperate with this. What do you think is the end game of all of this? And has the end game changed? I don't really have any specific predictions or thoughts about what the end game is is i mean i definitely and i depict this in my novel that i do think there are certain individuals who have a very and openly admit it very dark end game of this i mean we know klaus schwab the world economic forum i mean he's been very open about a society that is highly controlled with cybernetic implants i mean total science fiction most of it i hope cybernetic implants and people allowing them to interface in some type of global g5 network where no one owns anything anymore it's like communism on steroids i the way some people live it's like i think a lot of people they they're so happy just now they're not fighting that they're happy they get to stay in their home all day and 
eat processed food and sit there and watch TV and not feel guilty about it. And so, you know, he, in some ways that's almost sounds like what he's offering. And then also I think definitely uh, depopulation. I mean, that seems obvious. And then the nice thing about it is nature seems to have been on our side because despite everything they've done, global mortality rate hasn't changed. Yeah. There's like zero excess deaths in the U S I looked at the numbers and you know, like in the United States, I looked early on, and I, up until about May, I thought, okay, if the numbers really improve, and I believed in the numbers back then, you know, they'll they'll open up and everything will be fine. But then as of June, I'm like, nope, there's no rationality anymore. And it's just a uh, clown world, unfortunately. And that's what it's continued to be. <laughs> clown world, yeah. No, it's, I'm, and I'm, it, it makes you wonder too. It's like, because they definitely have done things that harm people. I mean, they even admit in like the United Kingdom that 10,000 people died from, um, Senior citizens died from lockdown. Denny Rancourt, a professor out of the University of Ottawa, he did a great paper showing how at least 30,000 seniors died in France because of the restrictions, the lockdowns, particularly in nursing homes. Not from COVID, but from, from the restrictions put on them. And yet, despite all those deaths they've been causing and the suicides are up in our province, opiate deaths are up, I think at least, oh, I forget. I don't want to exaggerate. It might have been 300% alcohol deaths, you know, all these deaths resulting from the restrictions being put on people. Personally, in our apartment, one of the, one guy, he was in his 30s, I think he committed suicide about a month ago. I was shocked. Oh, so I've seen that firsthand. I've, my parents are in a nursing home, which they don't want to leave. And I would have them out of there in a second. I've tried so hard and they had an outbreak there. And, but, death rate of that nursing homes the same too so well, i guess what i'm trying to say is this nature seems to be working on our side i somewhat suspect they thought this coronavirus was if it was manufactured like some people believe and there's a lot of reason to speculate that way that they thought it would be more destructive and maybe it was when it was originally released in wuhan it's hard to say because the methods they were using to care for the people were so extreme throwing them on ventilators so quickly that it's hard to know whether the virus was really bad or it's just the medical treatment that they were receiving right, yeah. but let's just say it was it adapted it, it doesn't want to kill off the human race and i you know you got to wonder is there has been some positives to the lockdown that would not they put the, the positives will diminish as it goes along but i think people have been getting more sleep we live in a totally sleep deprived society and one of the number one factors for immune health is sleep i mean that's why if you don't sleep you know where they force animals to go months without sleep what kills them actually is their immune system deteriorates and then their intestinal lining and their skin become consumed by bacteria so we know sleep is a big factor and i think that's why we have seen that children now are doing much better in at least our province we're like geez they hardly get sick anymore because they're not being woken up so early in the morning and dragged to school and then come home and stay up late watching yep TV and probably people are eating at home more. This winter, I've never seen so many people outside because they had a lockdown. So it's like the only, they're told you're only allowed to go outside to exercise. Well, everyone's outside exercising for the, you know, despite the fact it's minus 10 or 20 below outside. So, the, and I think also people have been going to their doctors less. They've been getting less prescription medication, which in Canada has been shown to be the number one killer. The number one killer is prescription <laughs> medication. 
<laughs> and the number two is hospital infections and not viral infections like bacterial infections that they get while being in the hospital. So, I mean, there's been those benefits and we might be transitioning into a very different civilization where, I mean, the people who are following this stuff religiously and hurting themselves, I don't know how much longer they got. And then they're taking a vaccine that has horrible, horrible side effects on all the animal trials. And the human trials weren't any better, especially once they're re-exposed to a coronavirus. So I don't know if we're going to start seeing mass deaths of people who are abiding by these rules and drinking the Kool-Aid, which has been poisoned. And then another type of culture that's going to come out of this that's going to realize that we can give so much power to the government and have to rely more on common sense and uh, local community and, you know, other factors. Well, I've been um, every single day, you know, last year, this year, not one Mm. day that I stay home. And I see the the condition of people and I monitor, you know, is everyone feeling worried? Is everyone feeling better? And I've seen it, you know, come up and come down variously. It's interesting, like just March 10th, which is, you know, two days ago here, the uh, the governor of the state of Texas lifted the mask mandate. And I wondered what, what places would do. I thought they would just say, no, we're still going to require masks. And I was right. Most of the places, or at least all mm-hmm. the ones I've been to, now they have letters in the door, you know, we don't care what the governor says. We're still forcing you to wear a mask. It's required. And, uh, and I, what I've seen over the past years is, is um, people are confused. They don't know what to do. They're afraid, you know, businesses. I understand they're afraid of their employees suing them. They're afraid of their customers suing them. They're afraid of getting shut down. And, you know, and now I think the fear has just stuck to them and they're just damaged. And they're like, well, we, we just got to cling to whatever we can because, hmm. you know, the government's not going to help us. That's, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be nice and take the side of, of these places. I, I wish they wouldn't do that. And I hate the fact that they do that. But that's what I see is just everyone's kind of left to their own devices. And they're like, I don't, I don't know what to do. Like, you know, some businesses, they wouldn't let you in. You had to do everything in the curbside. And some are still like that. Let you in but they'd bother you. Some, you know, the space at the tables. Now some let you in. It's no big deal. It's just, I, I see these, um, I don't know, just all these different behaviors. Like my wife and I, we went out to a restaurant a couple nights ago and, you know, they have on the door, you have to wear a mask and all that. And, you know, the, there's all glass windows into the restaurant. You literally, there's like, I don't know, a hundred some people in there eating, drinking, no masks, standing, mm-hmm. sitting, whatever. <laughs> so you do this stupid ritual. You, you put on yeah. your mask. Hello, you go to your table and you take it off. <laughs> You know, and then know. when you, you're done, you, what's the point? It's just, it's absurd theater. And people don't seem to, to realize, like, this makes no sense. And when they take their mask off, do they put it in a Ziploc bag and seal it? Or, you know, just toss it in their pocket or around their neck? or Yeah, they hang it from their ear. They put it on the yeah. table. They put it in their pocket. They do whatever. Yeah, no one is using it properly. They're reusing, I've, you know, I know people at these places, like, you know, the chiropractor and places like that, I'll see the same mask on Bob, you know, for months. So there's no way Bob is washing his mask. And, you know, I I don't know, I just don't, I can't even imagine what's happening to these people. They're wearing them eight hours a day. It's just, it's awful. No, and I mean, the scientific evidence has long been on that. I mean, they know with surgery, back going to like 1980, that split tests on um surgeons wearing masks in surgery first off it's surprising because i thought that'd be the one place they were useful and there's as far as i could find i mean i looked at 12 of the biggest studies and there was no evidence that the masks prevented bacterial infection in the patient which was surprising but what was more surprising was that unless meticulously maintained 
the mass would cause up to a 50% increase in the patient that they're operating on having an infection. And uh, that's why you see with surgeons, it's so like if they touch their mask, it's thrown away. Every two hours, it's thrown away. And a surgical room is sterilized already completely. So it's not like your typical environment of restaurants and bathrooms (laughs) and uh, public areas. So we, we know that these masks are just collecting germs and it's a moist spot where germs like to breed. So it's not just collecting germs, it's actually breeding germs. A recent study just found um, up to 300 different types of bacteria living in mass on train commuters. So I think that a lot of what even may have been called COVID was actually just pneumonia brought on by people wearing masks. And I've seen this in the seniors' home where they would give them a mask to wear and they'd wash it once a week with their clothes. Right. And the seniors would hang it on their walkers when they're not using it. And they had a quote-unquote outbreak there. Yeah, I don't know. I but saw I, the study well, on the uh, the operating room physicians. It was like sixteen hundred with sixteen hundred mm-hmm. without and wearing no masks. The, it was the the patient had less adverse yeah. outcomes, which was cool well, it makes see, sense, but ignored. You know? Well, it, it, I want to say it's totally ignored because that's why they've in you know in in surgical units they've implemented so many rigid rules regarding the use of masks and the disposal of masks and so forth. So I think they're aware of how dangerous they are. I just have no idea why they're bothering to wear them. It's a, it's a ritual. And it, I think some people would be scared if you went into surgery and the surgeon didn't have a mask on, even though it looks like it would be better for you. The only thing they found that actually helped reduce infection was whether the surgeon speaks or not, because actually opening his mouth was uh, produced more uh, infection than wearing a mask or not. And this is if they really cared about people. And this is another way, you know, the whole thing's a bunk is because they're not telling anyone anything useful to prove their health. Right. Like, I mean, here's what uh, here's what they would say if this was if this was they really cared. They would say help prevent the spread of coronavirus. Make sure you stay in close contact with friends and family and socialize because that's good for your mental health. Mm -hmm. Get 20 minutes of sun exposure a day to keep your vitamin D levels right. Take you know, supplements to help boost your immunity. Make sure you exercise. Make sure you get enough sleep. Imagine if the if the health authorities actually said that, which is actually would help your immune system and help you. But no, they said the opposite, which is hilarious. Yeah, baffles me. And um, but it also just proves their their guilt. And another thing they could tell everyone that would make big difference is just breathe through your nose. I, one of the marks of modern civilization is this problem with mouth breathing. And it's actually, I mean, I could spend an hour explaining all the reasons why mouth breathing not only ruins your, makes you more prone to getting infections, but all the other health implications that it involves. And this was actually no notice when the white men first came to North America that the aboriginals who had noticeably superior health. They were not only um, more physically strong and had better endurance, but they were actually taller than us and uh, larger uh, skeletal structures. And there's an entire book written by uh, George Catlin, a painter who uh, went around to the tribes in the late 1800s before they were totally wiped out. And uh, he called the book, Shut Your Mouth and Save Your Life, because that was like one of the big secrets of the aboriginals was breathing through the nose. So, yeah, I mean, that would be 10 times more helpful than putting on a mask. And what is happening with the mask is it promotes mouth breathing for two reasons. One, because people feel they're suffocated. So they try to, they use the mouth instead because they can get more air in. 
and it relieves that feeling of suffocation, even though they're not really being suffocated. That's another story. And then two, no one can see them breathing with their mouth because they got the, the mask there. Because typically we don't like seeing people walking around with their mouths open. And this is why, too, I believe the New York dentists are and other dentists are finding cavities are hitting the roof is because mouth breathing promotes cavities. Oh, yeah. Yep, definitely. You mentioned the Buteyko method, and I've, I've uh, interviewed one or two people that spoke about it. So oh. it, I've tried to make good of it in some instances. You know, when I've gone into places where they bother you, I put the mask, I put it below my nose, and I just breathe through my nose, and I tell myself, you know what? I'm practicing breathing through my nose, so I'm going to take it mm-hmm. as a good thing. <laughs> yeah, so I try to yeah. do a little bit of, of good for myself, I guess. Yeah, I've, I've, um, I used to be, uh, a Bateco instructor, um, more specifically oh. for people with diabetes, but I've dealt with um, several people like with asthma. And I can't tell you the, if you, once they're trained properly, like I had this one lawyer, he actually came to me because he thought this whole Bateco stuff was just baloney. And he thought he would work with me so he could sue me after when, yeah. and he, his asthma was so bad. He was in the ER once a week, usually yeah. because he was going into uh needed aerosol cortisol plus he actually uh required other injections just to uh, stop his stomach acid from burning his face and i mean he was just going into full attack and just talking to him on the phone was just like you know he would cough like every five minutes and he had the inhaler going i had him do um i instructed him on how to use the takeo method and had him practice for i think he was only literally practicing for an hour a day the specific exercises and in one week he, he he never went back to the year again i'll say that for short and then by three months later he's running marathons crazy it's just another example of the medical system hiding things that work i mean that was the mm-hmm. methods from the 1960s it is actually officially recognized by the british and australian medical system mainly because you can go online and see a it's a great example of again just the the lies on top of lies the bbc took a Russian botanical teacher, brought him to Scotland, took this, I think it was seven of the worst asthma patients from the local Scottish hospital, put them all in the hotel. And they said, we're going to give you one week, see what you can do with them. Mm-hmm. And they were doing it to prove them wrong. And in one week, they were like totally different people. I mean, they weren't quite completely cured yet, but all their symptoms were basically on the, on the gone and they didn't require inhalers anymore. To, wow. So, but, you know, if, if you wouldn't mind... I don't think people that believe in masks would be listening at this point. They'd be so pissed <laughs> off. But people that have to wear them for their work, is there, are there any suggestions you have to help them uh, improve their respiration because they're wearing this garbage for eight hours a day? Yeah, well, definitely. Um, that's uh, something I'm keen on. Um, in some ways, the mask can have um, benefit because if someone's finding it, they feel like they're suffocated when they're wearing that mask. First, they got to get over the idea. There's been a lot of misinformation, even from the anti-mask community. And I get more hate mail from the anti-mask community for saying this than really? I get from maskers. Because there's a, there's a theory going around, and I say it's a theory, and it's not even a theory anymore because it's been disproven, that one of those masks is actually going to prevent you from getting enough oxygen. And that's not true. The mask doesn't have the is is the pores and the gaps. It's, I've done, and I have a video so it, of me it, it running up. The, it doesn't reduce the uh, the oxygen levels inside the mask. It it well, it, technically, if you breathe the same way with the mask on, like you don't increase the force of your breathing, it will reduce the oxygen levels a little, but it's not going to reduce it 
to the extent that it's going to cause anyone any harm or that it would lower your blood oxygen levels. You have to understand that like when you inhale and exhale, it's not like you use up all the oxygen in your lungs. Our lungs are massive compared to the size of our body and they're designed to have a big buffer. That's why the lungs can adapt to running up a hill and you know, we can live at high altitudes where the oxygen level is quite lower. So even when running, I believe the stats are about while running, you only use 30% of the oxygen in your lungs. You'll keep exhaling 70% of what you exhale is still oxygen. So that feeling of suffocation when we have the mask on isn't actually because of oxygen deprivation. And it gets really fascinating. And this is something that I'm surprised even some doctors don't know, even though it's in every medical textbook, is that our brains actually can't really detect a decrease in oxygen. The feeling like if you hold your breath of air hunger is actually your body recognizing a rise in carbon dioxide. So there's when the blood flows through your brainstem, there's what's called chemoreceptors. And they measure acidity in the blood. And because carbon dioxide is acidic, as it rises, you feel like you're, you feel that feeling of suffocation. So what you're actually feeling when you put the mask on is not a decrease in oxygen. It's a rise in carbon dioxide. Well, I mean, the rise in carbon dioxide is no good. So what's, uh, oh, well, actually that's, that's, that's the big secret. It's actually, um, most people's carbon dioxide levels in their blood is too low. And this is actually the cause of asthma is um, carbon dioxide level getting too low in the lungs because carbon dioxide is a blood vessel dilator. It causes your blood vessels to expand. It also is what signals to hemoglobin to release oxygen. So those two factors are critical to maintaining oxygen in your body. What happens in the case of uh, asthma, it's very interesting, is um, because they're breathing too much, their carbon dioxide levels in their lungs get too low. And once they get to a certain point of being too low, the blood vessels running from the lungs to the bloodstream, can they become too constricted. And now oxygen and carbon dioxide can't pass between the blood system and the lungs. And then Do you think masks would be good for you if not for the bacteria buildup? Well, no. Years? No, because um, there is some debate in the, the, the world about this. But in my my view on it and also Dr. Butekos, because he tried that. He thought this would be great. You know, we put masks on people and it'll teach them to get used to higher carbon dioxide levels because carbon dioxide has so many benefits. Normally, like he found the healthiest people in the world had up to 6% uh, carbon dioxide levels in their lungs, whilst most people were average around three. So there's a definite correlation. There's hundreds of studies showing higher carbon dioxide, better um, better health outcome. There's so many other reasons. Um, but the problem with the mask is it, it tricks your brain into thinking, okay, I'm breathing at a certain rate and now my carbon dioxide levels are higher. So now when you take off the mask, your breathing becomes worse. So you, it's messed up the whole biofeedback mechanism in your head. And I believe this is why people are looking like they're becoming addicted to the mask because they put it on, their carbon dioxide level improves. They have more blood flow going to their brain, to their toes, to their internal organ system. They're releasing more hemoglobin or oxygens being released from their hemoglobin. So they're getting these benefits now when they put the mask on, even though they're not breathing properly. They take the mask off and their carbon dioxide level goes down and they, they feel this attraction to the mask. And it's almost like a drug in some ways, because every time they take it off, their breathing is going to be worse, probably especially when they're sleeping. Really? That's crazy. So, and, and what they might attribute it to, I guess that would contribute to a slight panic or a feeling of unease 
which would make them want to wear the mask even more. Yeah, or they're just going to start feeling uh, dopey or low energy because improper breathing kills energy level. It also makes people more hungry because you end up with, you know how they, everyone talks about eating alkaline food. Well, the, the thing with, uh, the reason to eat alkaline food is because carbon dioxide is acidic. So if you're eating lots of acidic food, your bloodstream's already too acidic. So you have this natural tendency to breathe more to lower the acid in your bloodstream. Whilst if you raise it with carbon dioxide, then your body actually holds on to alkaline minerals. So, I mean, there's all these things that come into play with this. So they, I, I, I think basically they're doing this very, I don't even know if they realize it to some extent, but a very serious biological experiment here on masses of people, which again is against the Nuremberg Code, the implications of which are going to be baffling. But like I said, Dr. Buteko, he was all for, he was like, oh, we can just put masks on people and retrain them to breathe. Let's do it. And it didn't work. It, it made their breathing worse when they took it off. So, and then, and then they, there's another problem. Like a lot of people will be listening. Ah, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I know people, they put on a mask and they're, you know, they put an oximeter on and their, their oxygen level hits the floor. I mean, right, it right, goes right. down to 70. And those are a very minority of people. Because I have done running up and down a hill with a mask on this one. The few times I wore a mask, I got a video on my site of it. Running, ran up and down a hill for 45 minutes with a mask on, and my oxygen level didn't change a bit on my oximeter readings. It stayed at 95. What's happening with those people is they overreact to the mask. They feel like they're suffocating, so they start hyperventilating. They'll open but still, their mouth. I mean, yeah, there, there needs to be uh, provisions for people that have problems, but that's being ignored, and no one cares. No you know, club you to death like a seal in some cases I've seen if you don't wear one, you know? Well, this is true. And I mean, the problem is, is that because our society in particular is so sedentary, we have a very low carbon dioxide tolerance level because every time you move, you make more carbon dioxide. So the more, if you're exercising, you're producing, you know, two, three, four times as much carbon dioxide. And if people exercise with their mouth closed, which a lot of people don't, learning to exercise with the mouth closed will raise that carbon dioxide level higher and your brain becomes used to higher levels of carbon dioxide and it becomes normal. Like I run seven kilometers every day with my mouth closed and to me it feels like walking. Yeah. And when I started, I couldn't run five minutes with my mouth closed. You should tell people uh, it'll prepare you for for climate change, you know, (laughs) higher carbon dioxide level. Well, yeah, I mean, I personally, I don't uh, really buy that the higher. No, no, levels. no. I, I'm, I'm teasing you. But yeah, I'm yeah. Also, you know, well, I'm it's proof. You believe or not? But. Yeah, it's proof that you know it's not an. Uh, I think it's, it shows is at least evidence that um, CO2 isn't harmful to be slightly higher. Right? To me, I find that a baffling theory. But but the problem is, is people who are have chronically low CO2 tolerance, they're incapable of wearing a mask without overreacting to it and it is a serious condition and i mean they basically are going to be putting themselves into a, essentially an asthma attack even if they don't yep. typically have asthma and i think this is what's happened with um you know those two kids in um china who were forced to run with the mask on and they're, yeah. they're not used to it so they probably just started you know they feel like they're suffocating so they start breathing more and more and more and more and they lowered the level of CO2 in their lungs so much. Once it goes below 2%, you're dead. Because once it gets below 2%, all the blood vessels in your lungs constrict. And now oxygen can't get into your body. Yeah. What do you think about, I mean, what are your thoughts on vaccines and this, you know, this drive to force vaccinate people? Let's explore that for a little bit. <laughs> that is, uh, I think that's the pinnacle of the insanity. 
I mean, clearly these, um, we've known, I don't know how long it's been, 10, 20 years, uh, all experiments using RNA vaccines on animals as proven disastrous, either the, um, as far as I understand, and I'm obviously not an expert on this, but it doesn't take much reading to uh, see this, is that um, either the immune system overreacts to, um, well, I think people should be very clear that this is not even a vaccine. I think we got to back up a little there. It's, it's something that's supposed to do something similar to a vaccine. A vaccine typically is where you put a very small uh, amount of a uh, viral particle into someone's body and their immune system can adjust to it. We, that's a whole other argument, whether that's a good idea or not. But what they're doing here is they're injecting RNA messenger into your body that tells your own body cells to start producing the, a protein from the spike of a coronavirus. And again, and again, that's in animal studies has either shown that the immune system overreacted to that and then ended up killing the patient or that later, and this was more common, when the coronavirus was introduced to the animals, it's almost like uh, because the body's been producing this protein all along, the immune system didn't react to the virus. And then the virus was able to replicate freely inside the animal's body and kill the animal, which I... I hate to be dystopian about this, but that sounds like the perfect setup to finally get the pandemic they're looking for. Right. Who do you think that uh, is behind all this? If it, you know, if it was manufactured, what's your guess? I, I that's if, outside if you don't of want my. To say it, it's okay. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I really don't have the uh, the political insight in that regard to make a great guess. I mean, obviously, the Chinese government has a lot to. Um, benefit from this and that's certainly where it seemed to start so i mean that's a suspicion i don't want to point fingers at them i suspect that whoever it is is probably we don't know their name because they're staying so far back in the shadows <laughs> that would be more my guess than anything that you know these because too if you look at a lot of the big players that we point fingers at like bill gates and Klaus schwab and so they're not young people and I, so I don't know how long they expect it to be around. I don't know. The queen seems to be around forever. So maybe it will work out for them. <sighs> so I don't know. I don't know. To a large degree, I, I, it hasn't been the focus for me. Hey, interesting. So you have your newsletter and it goes out. I mean, do you have a, do you have a large list and like what insights has, has it given you to put out your newsletter? What kind of comments are you getting back? I have to say it's been, um, you know, we've got a few thousand people on the list, um, which largely been from word of mouth. I mean, I've never had something where I haven't paid for advertising and every day there's just new subscribers, new subscribers. A lot of gratitude. I mean, I've been very surprised. Just get, you know, almost every day I'll get an email from someone just thanking me for doing this. And that's touching. Um, so I thought I've been involved in other things that were pretty important. I never got, you know, this type and type of gratitude I've had. People, you know, people just, I don't have a donation page on my site. And I have people, please let me send you some money to help with this. And I, I always just tell them, no, just wait till my novel comes out, buy some copies, <laughs> send them to okay, other people. Well, that's good. That's good. But I, I have mean, what, been are, moving, what other, yeah, what feedback have you gotten that, I don't know, that's touched you or has been interesting? I've had some people just say that this kept them sane, like almost like they were on the verge of suicide. Because they thought they were the only, they thought they must be going crazy because everything looked crazy around them and everyone's like, no, no, this is fine. This is good. The government's doing a great job or the government's yeah. not doing enough. You know, so you start to feel a little, and I think some of these suicides, I mean, there was one guy in Toronto. He went out at lockdown to go get some tea at a restaurant. Police stopped him and he, they said, what's your name? And he got kind of nervous and he didn't tell him his name. And then they gave him an $880 ticket for not telling them his name. 
and he went home and he killed himself. Right. And to me, it's like, it's, it's, it's just getting so weird for people that, so, I mean, I've had that. I've, but I've backed off as, as anyone who's been subscribed. I used to, I used to put out like a, an article every day, just trying to disprove this and show how nuts it was, both the pandemic that there wasn't really one and that the measures they're using are harmful and unscientific and you know the whole thing doesn't add up and i just thought okay once i send that out i'd have you know the whole world would just go okay that makes total sense let's stop doing this you know and on the whole it's a minority so that's why i've um re-diverted a lot of my energy and time to getting this novel done because i have a i feel like getting a novel out there another story to combat the story that's out there might have a much more um powerful effect than just giving people more information and also i I touch more on a lot more of the human side of it in the novel instead of just the fact-based side and and if i can keep it entertaining because a lot of this is hard for people to take so if you can deliver it with some you know it's it's like you give the medicine with some sugar so I, i i do feel i have a story that is very entertaining and very um captivating so that um, it will make people more receptive to learning the truth. And um, so, what's what's the new book going to be called? The, the title so far has been "Much Ado About Corona." Mm. I had I, I the sequel is probably going to be uh, "Brave New Normal." Mm, okay, and so uh, when's it going to come out? What's oh, <laughs> I'm about as good at predicting that as uh, the uh, Imperial College is at predicting uh, a pandemic. <laughs> I thought, well, this, this, it's been. I mean, for me, it's like. Oh, like I've like I've had plenty of experience uh, writing, and um, I've ghostwritten and helped ghostwrite novels. But just the amount of work this is involved, I've put so far four hundred hours into writing it. But of course, wow. it expanded more than I expected, and I actually have the the first draft of part book one and book two. But it, it I expected it's probably going to be another two months of work. Well, hurry but, before the pandemic ends. No, sadly, you don't have to hurry. <laughs> No, I have a feeling this is going to be drawn out quite. I that was my concern. I wanted it out by Christmas because I thought, you know, either this will all be over, which I'd be very happy with, and still probably be interesting for people to read, or it's going to be so much worse, the restrictions and so forth. But I don't know if it's because this is their plan or just because of the amount of resistance they're getting. But I think it's going to be drawn out quite a lot. I, I could see, you know, the World Economic Forum's, you know, talking about a twenty thirty plan and. I think we might have a long war ahead of us, which in some ways is good, in some ways bad. Yeah, what do you think is going to um, is going to happen from here? Uh, you know, over twenty twenty one, what's your guess for this year and what's going to happen, and then moving forward from there? Well, economically, I think things will get much worse. I think we'll start seeing the side effects. You know, even if they stopped all the nonsense, just the side effects of what they've done so far will be um, quite detrimental and probably last years and years. So I think we'll see more economical major economical changes people selling their home more people living in rentals um people to a large degree living uh, probably simpler lives than they were used to but at the same time seeing probably a big divide where the people who do have money are you know living it up i i'm baffled that people in canada will still you know fly to florida even though they're expected to do two weeks of quarantine and can afford to do two weeks of quarantine because not only do they lose work time they also have to pay for the quarantine hotel so there's that side i have a feeling that we're going to see a lot more deaths from the vaccine and then also the restrictions and people failing to thrive and depression and that type of uh, scenario but on the flip side i think we're going to see um 
a lot of good things, a lot of people banding together and starting smaller communities, um, smaller networks and uh, living outside of this crazy system, which I think was always crazy, but now it's just proven itself and it's hard to ignore. Maybe people, you know, turning more to things like books instead of primetime television to small town theater instead of um, movies stop supporting these big industries which i think uh, i mean i don't think it's any coincidence that they did this lockdown at the same time you could get netflix for whatever ridiculous amount it is i I think in canada you can get it for like i don't have it so i don't know but it's like 12 bucks a month unlimited movies tvs you know with your own big screen tv in your home and the cost of those is down if they did this back in the 1980s it would never have worked no one's going to sit at home with 10 you know stations on their tv and no internet no youtube no they'd go bonkers they'd be outside doing whatever they want having barbecues and kids playing so i'm hoping we'll see maybe um people moving away from some of these uh, mediums that have obviously betrayed us but um i guess just a couple of a couple of last questions um i don't know like what you know if you were a psychologist and you wanted to psychoanalyze everyone how would you do so what would you think about uh, the various people you encounter the ones that are like still, you know, unbearably afraid, the ones that say that it's all bullshit. I mean, what, how would you psychoanalyze the various groups that have been formed or created or pressurized to form from this? Hmm. Well, I, I would say, I, I think it comes down to a lot of what the word you use there is fear and there's fear and there's love, which is a lot of what I try to deal with in the novel. There's like an old, um, Eastern saying that every action in the world, every action that you do either comes out of love or it comes out of fear. And um, I, I think we're seeing a lot of fear in the world. And, I, and oddly enough, I, I think a lot of it's fear of death. I think this is media is shoved into the face that, you know, you can die. And I think to a large degree, people in our society have been so distanced from the idea of death, baffling to me in some ways. And of course, you know, some of that it comes starts starts to come more to a spiritual question, but I'm not particularly fond of a lot of the institutional uh, churches and organizations that have been running the world for a very long time. But at the same time, those institutions were always making people very aware of the fact that they would die one day. Mm. And um which when I was in Mexico, and it was actually funny because I was in Mexico when this all started. I was in uh, back in uh, December, January, 2019, 20. And death is a very recognized thing in Mexico. Like when they get married, they put two skeletons on their wedding cake of the bride and groom dressed up, but they're skeletons. And it's there to remind them that one day you're going to die. So enjoy life right now. And I just heard a great song by Derek Severs where he said, you know, it's only when you're ready to die that you're ready to live. And I th- and I think maybe maybe this is for some of the elderly people, too. They're not satisfied with how they live their life or how they're living it right now. And they don't want, you know, people who have lived a good life. And I, I talk about this in my novel because I deal a lot with um, uh, an Aboriginal who's a senior living in a, one of the nursing homes in Ontario. And it kind of reflects back on the mistreatment of Aboriginals by our government. But he says, you know, it's like if you live a good life, if, if you live a good life when death comes, you're not upset. And I, I see like if you go to like the blue zone studies where they look at people who cultures where people live to be over a hundred on average or at least above average. And then what they noticed with these cultures was they never retired. You know, the, the older people, they, even if they're just women, you know, that didn't have a profession, they're taking care of their great, great grandchildren. 
they're helping with the house and raising the kids. And Dr. Day was famous for one book he wrote. And when he came into town, he found this 98-year-old woman helping shoveling wreckage from a house that collapsed in 98. So I think this this, this mentality we have of retiring and going on cruises is very harmful. And and then just everything in between, the consumer culture we have, people aren't living to do something with their life. They're living to get stuff and enjoy stuff. And then when death comes, they're depressed. Yeah. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Last question. Do you see, I mean, in the U.S., I definitely see uh, society literally fragmenting because mm-hmm. of this. Um, do you see that in Canada? Do you see that in other countries? Canada, I don't think is as bad as uh, the United States. So we've never had the very prominent left-right divide that you have. Unfortunately, we Canada's kind of kind of veered over to kind of a soft left most of the time. Um, I, Canadians are much more polite too. I see how the police handle people in the United States and police in Canada, even if they're doing stuff that's outrageous, they're just so polite about it. It's weird. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you could, uh, police dragging people off to prison for refusing to, you know, wear a mask. I mean, they do it so politely the whole time and discussing it and so forth. I mean, they still do it, unfortunately. So I don't know. In Canada, there is definitely become this new divide, which is, do you believe in COVID or do you not? And um, the, and unfortunately, a lot of the people who don't believe in this narrative are being quiet. And that's the, that's the downside in Canada. Canadians all like to be get along and not rock the boat. I don't know why I'm different, but even for me, it's hard. And then other countries, I, I can't, I think it's a similar situation in Europe where well, I mean, some countries, it's great. Look at Germany. I mean, they have done such a good job at resisting this. It's been very impressive what the Germans have done. And I find people from more of the Eastern country, and we see this in Poland and other countries, who know what it's like to be under a severe totalitarian government. They don't want to see it happen again. Hope so. Yeah, you hope so. So are you hopeful about the future or are you just cautious and you don't know what's going to happen? Like, what's your overall thought? Well, uh, my, my thoughts aren't great, but my feelings down deep down, I actually feel very hopeful. I think in the whole, this is going to produce a better outcome for humanity, but it's going to be a very dark tunnel. And I don't know. I don't have any. I mean, I can tell you, I have nights where I go to bed and I'm scared. I, I've, I've never had sleep trouble in my life. And like my wife hates me because it's like I can go to sleep in one minute. It's like pfft. Part of that's yeah. potato method, though. Potato method, yo, know, you sleep like a baby. You know, my mind is, I'm, I'm gone to bed, time's scared. I mean, I know this could get really nasty, dragging people off to quarantine camps because they either aren't following the rules or whatever other reason they want to make up, and uh, the economical destruction it can cause, and they just start taking away people's necessities. And you know, you take away food from people for three days, and they'll do whatever you want. Right. So, I mean, this could go really nasty, but. I don't know when I, I'm, I'm a big believer in things like meditation and trying to get quiet and keep the mind quiet. And anytime I get into that quiet space, I feel things are going to work out one way or the other. And I, and I know it's true because I had that other novel I was writing before COVID and it's really good. And I can't write that, we'll finish that one until I get these COVID novels done. And that's going to take at least two or three years to get all three of them done. So I know I'm going to be able to publish that other one after. I know that's a stupid reason, but that's, you know, I just feel like I'm supposed to be doing those things and that they're going to happen. Whether the world looks completely different and I'm living out in the rural country now with some outcast community, not an outcast community, but some community where we, we don't follow the rules that we live 
we're the unvaccinated and we're on a reserve like they did with the aboriginals. Maybe that will be the situation, but in some ways that might be a better place to live. Yeah, well, that's a good way of looking at it. Very good. Might as well. (laughs) It's true. Instead of uh, lamenting and, you know, being upset and catastrophizing and letting, you know, don't let them win, I guess is the message. Or keep on fighting. I mean, that's what Gandhi did. You know, Gandhi fought the British for what, 20, 30 years. And he just said, it doesn't, it's not our business to worry about what the outcome is going to be our our job is just to do the right thing and do it over and over again and if you worry about the outcome it will paralyze you and he said eventually the right thing will happen it might not happen in our lifetime but you know well that's a really cool way of looking at it do you recommend that people uh, study gandhi as a way to help them stay sane i think so i think so and gandhi based most of his philosophy on the bhagavad gita which i would you know, I'm not promoting any, you know, it's usually associated with Hinduism, but I mean, some of the greatest people in the world, Mark Twain, for example, the American, well, you guys know who Mark Twain is. You know, he was a big fan of the Bhagavad Gita. And the Bhagavad Gita is about a war between good and evil forces, but the evil forces are the one, the hero's relatives. And he gets there in battle and he sees all his relatives on the other side trying to take his kingdom from him. And he wants to put down his bow and arrow because he's like, these are my friends. I can't hurt them. I, I can't do this battle. And, um, it's a hopeless battle anyways, because there's so many of them and we're outnumbered like 10 to one. And, and the message was basically like, no, one, you have to fight. And two, it doesn't matter if you win or lose. You just got to fight and don't worry about that kind of thing. Cause it, then you can just focus on if, if, if all you care about is doing the right thing, then you're free already. You're not worried about the results you're going to get from doing the right thing, because that's that's beyond our control to a large degree. Yeah, no, very good. Well, John, thanks for coming. You've been a very calming influence, and I really appreciate it. You've shared some really unusual knowledge that, that I think is very helpful. So I, I think people should check out the Pacheco method. Eddie, how do you spell that, by the way? B-U-T-E-Y-K-O. I'd recommend uh, the work. I mean, it's a lot of the original stuff's in Russian, so it's a little hard. And part of the reason it's not better well known. But I'd recommend the work of Patrick McEwen, M-C-K-E-O-W-N, out of Ireland, who studied with Dr. Pateko. He has a new book coming out called The Breathing Cure. He also wrote The Oxygen Advantage. And um, and he actually has, a uh, if you go onto YouTube, an entire um, one-hour webinar specifically teaching people how to breathe uh, properly while wearing a mask so they don't uh, hurt themselves more. Oh, that's excellent. Well, very good, John. Thanks for coming. And people should also go to muchadoaboutcorona.ca. So thank you for being here, John. Oh, thanks a lot for having me. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.